I'm ready when you are. You can feel the country's on a knife edge. It's only, what, 30 minutes late starting? Let's do this! <laughs> it's a joke, obviously. You're in retreat. We're not rioting yet. I don't like that question. You're just saying shit and you don't even know what you're talking about. But Spider-Gate sounds way cooler than Manta Rays, doesn't it? And I was like, well, here's my two cents. You, you, you need a lot of stuff. That's how we should describe the podcast. If they ever went out and recruited one more person, then we'd have double the number of people listening. Well then. Let's start the show. Welcome, welcome listeners, welcome Brad, welcome me, welcome Tabby Bruce, welcome everyone. Uh, we're back, I'm not sure what episode number we're on, because we're, oh, he's, 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 he's formulating a number. Wait for it. No, I think it actually, Dream I mean, it could be a milestone. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure it is. I looked the other day and I thought we, I I thought we were approaching a milestone. 40, I think this is 40. Okay, that's a fairly good milestone. That's not bad, right? I mean, it's and if if it's not, just edit over whatever number it is. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually (laughs) thirty-seven. No, I know. I think we're at forty. So, I don't know. Nice round number. Nice even number. It is. You know, life begins at that age, apparently. So. So they say. Yeah, I'll let you know when I get there. (laughs) You did just have a birthday, so happy birthday, Brad. We won't get into the specifics of the. Of the date, but oh, and now my doorbell's just rang. Uh, One second. The fans are trying to get in. Right, well, Flash is uh, left to go in uh, and to the door. I think it's his drug dealer or something. He's come to make a delivery. Oh no, it looks like a blow up sex doll has been delivered. Oh, an ugly blow up sex. If you're going to order a blow up sex doll, at least order a good looking one, Flash, I would say. No, what's he doing to it? Don't, whoa, Flash, you're on video. I don't want to see that. Stop it. Stop it. No. Oh, listeners. Just be grateful this is a podcast and not a video cast. My word. It's disgusting what the Canadians get up to. Anyway, he's coming back now, so I'll be quiet. We'll see if he notices this in editing. Back in the room? I'm back. The man from the post just wanted to give me a present and congratulate us on the 40th episode, so... Oh, well, you know. Thank nice you, guy. Posty. Nice guy. Nice guy. Danke schön, Posty. There we go. So, episode 40. Uh, like we said, nice round number. Not a prime number, but good nonetheless. So... Exactly. What should we start with here, Brad? Our usual... Well, why not? Let's give the the masses what they want. That's what they're here for, so take it away. Well, as you know, as you can tell by that beautiful lead-in, that we are going to do what might be one of the last Ebola updates. That's right. Because, we've done it, people. We've done it. 
Cue the DJ air horn. <laughs> what have we done? What have we done? The Ebola v- vaccine has been approved. It's ah, out there. Yes. And so, even a headline from the Nature News article by Ewan Calloway Make Ebola a thing of the past. First vaccine against deadly virus approved. So, here we go. Uh, we mentioned it last week. Or yeah, last, we did. Last yeah. week. Last episode. Um, that the Merck vaccine was up for approval by the European Medicines Agency, and it got that approval on November 11th. So, again, mm-hmm. DJ Horn. Wah, 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 wah. Ebola vaccine. Woo-woo. Uh, so what does this mean? We were kind of speculating last time because we were like, well, what, like, you know, what does it mean? Who's going to buy it? How does this work? Um, yeah. So basically it does mean that, we, like we mentioned last time, it was being used in a research framework which yeah. makes yeah, yeah, yeah. it harder to use in a in an outbreak scenario uh so it can be distributed more widely and importantly it can be stockpiled so they can actually like produce it and then keep it ready to go in the event right. that there is an outbreak um and so who does that turns out there's an organization called gavi the vaccine alliance okay kind of sounds like a rap a rap name or a rap group not a very good rap name or rap group but yeah okay so anyway, that's what i thought Gavi, so they'll, the they'll, vaccine they'll stockpile it in europe or they'll stockpile it where potential outbreaks are or yeah so they are a they're based in geneva switzerland and they fund vaccine distribution in low-income countries um, they had said previously that they would purchase this vaccine once it was approved by a stringent regulator like the EMA. Now that that's been done, uh, they're apparently now deciding whether they're going to establish a global stockpile. So right. they kind of said we'd buy it, and now it sounds like they're like, well, well I guess they have to you know, negotiate. And, yeah, exactly. Um, so like we mentioned before, it's the only vaccine to be tested during an actual outbreak and it works we know it works so uh good news i don't sure i'm not sure where the stockpile would be i'm assuming you know some maybe in switzerland or something like that because you can transport it fairly rapidly once it's once it's needed but with an, an effective vaccine like this maybe this is it maybe this is we won't you know these these massive outbreaks we won't see them anymore which is uh, a good thing, considering that there's really only been like two really, really big ones. Uh, and one is still ongoing. Although uh, good news from the actual outbreak on the ground is that case numbers have dropped dramatically. So the average number of cases per day in November was like 1.2. Oh, wow. Okay. It's yeah. Really yeah. And there's, um, I think they've gone several days now. Uh, without a new reported case and the cases that are being dealt with are from known transmission uh chains so looking good not over yet but looking good um i mean we always retweet uh helen branswell who's a reporter with stat magazine uh stat news she's great to follow on twitter at helen branswell if you want to check it out this is basically where i get all my information about ebola um, and she was tweeting yesterday, uh, East East Coast time in the U.S., da, 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 zero new cases, 
yesterday, which would have been November 22nd or 21st, and no deaths. So, yeah, it's on the way out. Uh, as always, take that with caution because these things can flare back up again at an instant. Um, they've also implemented a, another vaccine. So the Merck one has been approved, but um, that doesn't mean that they're going to stop vaccine research. Uh, and again, from this Nature News piece, there's a quote from a guy from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, David Hyman. And yeah. he says, you know, the message should be that the research is not done. We need to continue it. Um, it's really important to continue to study vaccines and develop second and third generation vaccines. Um, the reason being that these could offer longer protection and cover against more strains. So the Merck vaccine covers the Zaire strain, which is the most deadly, most common uh, in outbreaks. There's seven other vac vaccines that are currently at various stages of development, including this one from Johnson & Johnson, uh, the toothbrush manufacturer, as far as I know them as. Um, <laughs> They're also a pharmaceutical company, but yeah, yeah not, just, <laughs> not just, well, you know, as well as making a few toothbrushes, we'll uh, have yeah. a dabble in this area. We'll just uh, whip on over the vaccine, uh, Ebola <laughs> vaccine, and see what we can do there, see what we can bring to the table with our diaper and toothbrush <laughs> technology. Talcum powder. Yeah. <laughs> but no, so the Johnson & Johnson vaccine has been approved by the WHO for use in the current outbreak. Um, and it was also submitted to approval for approval by the EMA, but they're still awaiting on that. Interestingly, the Merck vaccine works in one dose, whereas the Johnson & Johnson one, you need two doses, you need a booster. Um, and they've been doing the ring vaccination with that, I believe. Well, I was going to say, have you got how long the duration of immunity is with the approved Merck vaccine? Have you no, I don't know. I don't know. So I haven't found what that. I was just, what I was just thinking, you know, obviously at the moment the plan is to use this as a ring vaccine. You know, if there's an outbreak, you know, vaccinate around it to, to try and prevent the spread. You know, it, at some point is the next step along that chain, you know, as we, you know, in the westernized world when we all get vaccinated against polio and diphtheria and whatever, is the next stage. Well, in areas where there's Ebola, it's your standard childhood. yeah immunization yeah know. and like get like a herd immunity kind of thing for yeah. ebola i don't know i don't think so my understanding of it and like if i if i were to speculate which i'll do right now go for it i would think that it's not lifelong immunity it's not yeah, at that level it's yeah. you know you can that it'll eventually fade over time and that this is really still at at the level of um you know, rapid response, rapid outbreak response. So, yeah, I don't think we're at that level yet. So we might still have more Ebola updates to do in the future. I mean, hopefully not. We'd lose a staple of our programming, but I'd say it's worth it. Well, and we'll come on to what could replace it in a minute. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but we'll always find some deadly disease to talk about. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're not shy about deadly diseases here, that's for sure. I was just having a look to see if I could see the... Uh, yeah, as you said, everything I'm seeing so far doesn't give an exact... I'm just trying to look very quickly, but yeah, it's not a broad, a long duration of immunity. So yeah, at the moment, you'd only be able to do your, 
Yeah, I think it's like a couple months or something like this. Yeah. And even then, it's like how strong is the like it works. We know it works, but it's probably not like a hundred. You know, I mean, I don't think any vaccine is a hundred percent effective in in every person, but um, it but offers enough. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. Well, and you can. Um, I think the idea is that you're breaking the chain of transmission at the 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 biggest points you know the biggest pressure points frontline care workers people who have to work in close contact with ebola uh, people and then the people in villages that where an ebola case has been so it's like if you can like we've described with this ring vaccination you're basically trying to build like a, a containment wall around any known cases and if the vaccine can do that even if it only lasts you know you're like your antibodies for it only lasts really like a couple weeks even if you can sort of nip it in the bud, then you wouldn't see these big, uh, these big, huge outbreaks. So it's a big, big step. Yeah, big, massive, big step. Massive. Uh, yeah, saying six months of duration uh, and around about ninety-seven, ninety-eight percent effective. Yeah, there you go. Which so pretty damn good. Yeah, it's pretty damn yeah, good. Well, it, it, that you know, at that stage, anything is is good really isn't it you know anything to stop spread and mm -hmm. lessen the symptoms for for a disease as horrific as this yeah well and it's and like i said it's really all about just breaking that chain so if you yeah. you know make this containment dome around all the cases right away it's not going to spread and then once that case burns out then you're then you're okay then you're good you yeah. don't have this massive outbreak of of ebola throughout the throughout the uh, subtropical world so far anyway good news good job Merck well done yeah yeah definitely well and we we talked about there so you know as Ebola you know potentially gets a nail in its its coffin is there space for a new Ebola um so um what I've been reading this week is potentially there is a new Ebola and that new Ebola is measles good god um yeah, been around for years. Obviously, most of us have, have heard of it. Um, but there's a, a publication or article that's come out this week um, based in uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. So obviously an area that's been hit by Ebola over the years. Um, so far in 2019, 5,000 people have died because of measles uh, this year, um, which is more than double that uh, caused by Ebola over the last 15 months. 5,000. In, in Congo. You said 5,000. Yeah. Died. 5,000. 5,000 died. From uh, measles. Back, from measles. Quarter of a million people uh, have been in infected. Um, Quarter of a million. Measles. Yeah. Measles. Excuse the language, but for fuck's sake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So who have described it as the largest and fastest moving academic uh, currently uh, in existence? Um so emergency vaccinations are taking place. There's been around about 800,000 children um, or identified in need of emergency vaccination. Um, and obviously there is a vaccine for this, you know, in the Western yeah. world. It's, as we talked about earlier, it's one of those standard ones. Uh, the issue, and it comes back to the issues we have with Ebola, is there's poor infrastructure in a lot of these countries. Um, the attacks on health centres, mm -hmm. you know, um, around the whole vaccination piece. Uh, and just a lack of routine basic healthcare. Mm -hmm. um, so who have estimated that approximately 4 million children have already been vaccinated, uh, but that's less than half of the total in that country already. So, 
you know, the fact that they're looking to vaccinate another 800,000 still leaves, you know, potentially over 3 million still unvaccinated. Um, and I know there's been a lot of talk about, you know, measles occurring in other pockets around the world because of the decline in, especially in the Western world of, you know, the MMR vaccine in particular and some of the concerns over that because of fake publications that have happened in the past. Um, concerns. What, I don't even want to use that word. Concerns. <laughs> for bullshit. me, what was interesting? Well, and for me, what was interesting is, um, well, what is measles? So then I started digging into that that little rabbit hole. Uh, so it's a virus. Um, initially, it causes cold-like symptoms, so a bit of a runny nose, sniffles, a bit of a fever, uh, and most people recover from it. Um, but in some people, it causes lifelong disabilities, and then as we've talked about. It causes uh, death in others mm-hmm. uh, primarily either with a pneumonia complication or with um, encephalitis so swelling of the brain um, and globally around about 110,000 people die each year from measles 110 110 so the fact there's 5,000 in Congo this year you know that's quite a large that number surprises me 110,000 that's higher than I thought it would be yeah um... yeah when I read that it um, but there's a lot of investigate, a lot of study going on at the moment, um, because we understand it a fair bit. We've had a vaccine for a little while, you know, what causes it? So, and what causes these disabilities or, you know, people to have those disabilities or, you know, even life-threatening illness. Yeah. And what they've discovered is, um, it can cause, the virus itself causes immune amnesia. They yeah. Call it. yeah. Yeah. I read about this a little bit. And basically what it does is it, uh, means that the body forgets how to fight infections. So not just measles infections, but infections in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and in addition, sinister to that, move measles. Well yeah, played. Yeah, yeah. Basically, opening the door. It's like kicking down the door for all your mates to run in yeah. and cause a, uh, a riot. Yeah. Um, it can also though reset the immune system into, and I quote, a baby-like state. Right. Um, compromising how the immune system then fights a new infection. Right. Um, so as well as forgetting how to fight infection, it also then resets on how you actually fight a new infection and a lot of this work um was based on a um a study that was conducted in the netherlands it started back in 2013 um and it was a study in unvaccinated children in a um an an unorth- a strictly religious area yeah. in uh, the netherlands it's published in science magazine and what they did is they took blood samples from these children and then um a couple of months later, there was a measles outbreak, so they took blood samples again. Basically, they're churning through those blood samples. And obviously, as techniques evolve, they can go back and reanalyze those blood samples and look for different things. So mm-hmm. what they've discovered is the immune memory, and we knew this already, you have two types of primary immune cells. You've got your B cells and your T cells. And a lot of your immune memory is in your B cells. And what the virus does is the virus actually infects these and destroys them, mm. basically removing the memory that the body had yeah. Of how to fight immune. Right, 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 right. Um, there's also a study ongoing into T cells at the moment, and that's not quite as well understood, but it looks like there's a similar effect there with T cells as well. And the B cells um, have the memory, and the T cells do the actual, like, sort of killing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. like the B cells remember what diseases look like, and they atta- attach onto them and basically flag them for destruction. And then the other yeah. immune things come in and, and yeah, do the job. Right. Yeah. Um, so by wiping out the memory and then, you know, having an effect, they believe, as I said, the studies I'm going on the T cells, it's a double, double whammy. Right. 
what they what they found in these children is there's around about a 20% loss in antibodies in these children after they've been infected. Um, with um, one child in particular lost over 73%. Wow. Um, and I think, for me, this was a really interesting uh, quote. Measles is like the first 10 years of an untreated HIV infection compressed into just a few weeks. Looks like the postman's back again, listeners. He's yeah. just stuck down. I think he's going for a gangbang of inflatable sex dolls from what I can see. Uh, or at least these are slightly more attractive. Although that that one looks slightly disfigured. Hmm, interesting. Oh, sounds like an angry exchange in German happening. I think Flash maybe hasn't paid the full amount for the sex dolls. Sorry, dude. Back. These listeners just can't stay away, can they? They're beating... Like, ever since we published your address online, Flash. <laughs> so, yeah, so the quote that I thought was really interesting on this was, measles is like the first 10 years of an untreated HIV infection, Ooh. but compressed into a few weeks. Um, that came from one of the researchers, doc, Dr. Michael Mina. Um, but what they've said with this is the issue here is with that loss of antibodies, it's not always just specific to, well, those antibodies are the ones that fight measles. Those antibodies, in a lot of cases, fight off a whole range of things. Mm -hmm. um, and it then becomes a bit of a lottery because it might be that those antibodies are things that you never encounter again. It might be something you encountered once when you were five years old right. in a distant part of the world and you'll never see that again. In which case, losing that antibody, not going to do you any harm. Flip side is, you might lose the antibody to something that you encounter on a daily basis like the cold strain that goes around commonly in your city or something right. yeah so then you're likely to get that on top of whatever you've got so then you're likely to get complications with a, a measles-like infection um now that this as i said this work was done in the netherlands but what they've hypothesized and there's additional work ongoing at this is obviously we're seeing massive deaths in the Congo, mm -hmm. for instance, why is that? And they think a lot of that is because of the malnourishment in these regions. So immune systems are already compromised because of people being malnourished. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you add an infection which takes out another large chunk of the immune system, um, which then just has a knock-on effect. So um, one thing that they're suggesting is um, obviously increase the vaccination against measles. You know, mm -hmm. We have a vaccine out there. Let's get that out there. Mayor, and ultimately, you know, that's the ultimate way to stop it. But what they're also suggesting now is in people that have um, contracted measles, is maybe they should also have a repeat of their standard childhood vaccinations. So the polio, uh, diphtheria. To get that immunity back. To get that back, because you don't know what you've lost. What you've lost. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, interesting for me, because, you, you know, you, I think there was an outbreak in Germany earlier this year of measles, yeah. I think. Um, the US. You know, and you hear it on the news, yeah, and you, you know, I shrug my shoulders and say, oh, well, you know, why why is it such a big concern? And then you start digging into it a little bit. So, oh, yeah, that that is why it's a major concern. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, then, like, I don't know. I mean, obviously, the whole anti-vax thing is one of the dumbest things, you know, next to flat earth. It's right, right up there. And, I mean, at least flat earth, they're not harming anybody for, per se. Except that all of these things tend to travel in the same circles and help each other spread. Well, not literally in circles, Flash. They'd have to travel in a straight line. Right. Yeah, yeah. In a plane. Yeah. On yeah. a flat plane. Or a steam-powered rocket. Yeah. yeah, that's right. God bless you, Mad Mike. Yeah. 
but it's just like this you know this this just provides like such a night like i mean i don't know i struggle so much with it how much do we want to spend time like railing against anti-vax people because well i'm assuming anti-vax people aren't really listening to this uh and We're probably not they're probably not part of our key demographic i would think <laughs> yeah yeah but it's just like this just shows you what a you know what a the danger first of all because one of the arguments that you see out of the anti-vax community is like oh well you know these childhood diseases actually strengthen your kid's immune system like this whole like which is it like there is like all stupid conspiracy theories there's some nugget of truth in a lot of these and yes challenging your immune system does strengthen it that's what a vaccine that's how a vaccine works right but if you're challenging your immune system with a virus that wipes out your immune system it kind of defeats that whole logic so this is a real like you know shooting holes in one of the anti-vax community's big arguments right like this right there should put an end to that it won't but it should and then just the idea like you know i don't know i just get so frustrated because like the idea that this is their their argument for not vaccinating is exactly how vaccines work you know like well we gotta you know you want them to get the virus so that it like challenges their immune system it's like that's what a fucking vaccine is it's the virus so that it challenges in a safe way challenges your child's immune system well and that was a small part of the and i didn't touch on it but a small part of the article i started reading was exactly that that the mmr vaccine is a weakened measles vaccine um and now actually what they've discovered is obviously you know part of the fact and they checked part of the fact that it's weakened is that it doesn't have this ability to infect the b cells right and destroy them or if it does infect them it doesn't destroy them to the, the level and therefore the impact is less so yeah that's the thing vaccines doing exactly that it's exposing you to a measles virus that we can deal with Mm -hmm. as opposed to the natural measles virus which some of us do deal with and that's fine but you know 110,000 people a year don't don't deal with that yeah yeah and and you know many hundred thousands more are suffering with lifelong disabilities because of it as well yeah and i mean the cases i think it was like in the u.s cases have increased like 280 percent since last year so it's like, and it's specifically because of anti-vax ideas and movements and stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of, I don't know, it's, again, it's frustrating to kind of dig into it, but there was another study that, you know, about this loss of immune memory and because of measles. And then I briefly saw another one about um, how that affects babies, you know, and uh, the, you I think it was about the timing of the vaccine. I don't know. I have to, I'm kind of going out on a limb here, but basically the, the crux of the, of the piece was that you can't vaccinate babies too early for, um, uh, measles and stuff because their, their, their immune system will forget the vaccine. Right. And so it's like, so there's this window like, and this is what newborns can't get vaccinated because their immune system isn't ready to like, Take that vaccine yeah. and then, like, they won't die. Like, it's not like the vaccine's deadly, but it's just their immune system won't, isn't ready to, like, incorporate that information and create the antibodies. It's just not ready yet. Yeah. So you have this window where these newborns can't get vaccinated, and now we have all these idiots running around not vaccinating their kids, and all these newborns are exposed to this potentially deadly virus. 
you know, which is then going to, like you just described, wipe out their immune system even more. And just, it's, it's maddening. And, you know, there's lots of new pieces going on. I'm kind of going on a tangent here now, but there's lots of new pieces going up where they were looking at anti-vax ads on Facebook. And there's like two groups that are behind like 90% of all the propaganda about vaccines. And so it's starting to point to like, you know, they kind of voice themselves or portray themselves as like this grassroots movement of concerned parents and shit. It's like, no, it's two fucking, two fucking groups that are getting all this money to push this thing for whatever, you know, maybe they have an ideological reason. I'm assuming that it's, it's either religion or it's money, you know, which is probably both intertwined as they generally are. And they're behind, you know, 90% of the misinformation that goes out there. So when you see this shit on Facebook or, or anywhere else, and it's like, oh, I'm a concerned parent, I'm this, I'm that. It's like, no, it's, it's, it's fake. It's, it's someone's making a buck. And in doing so, they're contributing to a very serious medical problem and something that, you know, we should have in whatever you want to, you know, call it modernized, industrialized countries. It should be gone. It shouldn't be an issue. And if we can get it under control and then help other countries get it under control, this is gone. It is not, it is not an issue. One last thing on it, I just saw the most frustrating thing on on Twitter, people were tweeting out like this one woman was like, yeah, I follow these anti-vax groups on Facebook kind of just for a laugh. And this person on this anti-vax group had said, I live in Texas. There's a measles outbreak going on in my community right now. My kids aren't vaccinated. Does anyone have any advice on how I can protect them? And it's just like, oh, the, yeah, here's the madness, idea. the madness. Go get the vaccine. The circular well, nature of these arguments and stuff. And so hopefully what you just described does, you know, like I said, it pokes a hole in a major anti-vax argument, which isn't really an argument because it's already just making a case for vaccines. But whatever, you know. Well, I'm, and I remember speaking to a friend of mine, his dad was a, a GP, a general practitioner doctor here in the UK. Um, and I don't know if it's changed. Now. This was a few years back. But the way part of his funding that he got to pay his salary and run the practice and things was based on the level of uptake of vaccines. So, like, and I can't remember the exact numbers now, but for like the MMR vaccine, for instance, 90% of children between a certain age had to be vaccinated by his practice that were on his books for him to get paid right. part of his, you know, most of his salary in effect. Um, and it was about the time that the whole you know, the publication on MMR that came out, which was then dispelled and Mm -hmm. um, refuted, came out and numbers dropped. And he was saying that, you know, he was seeing an increase in measles, mumps and rubella um, because of that. But then he, it was really interesting because he'd obviously had to research this quite a lot because it was affecting him financially Mm -hmm. as well as, you know, his patients. Um, So he had some graphs. It was really interesting to see. So if you you say it was 90% that, you know, you need to be at, you know, obviously that financial target was set for a reason that was set around where well, if you vaccinate 90%, you actually, by herd immunity, really wipe out the other. That's when you get, well. that's the level that there's, and there's, there's a very clear formula for how epidemiologists yeah. do that. It's not an arbitrary number and it's not no, financially exactly. motivated. This is another argument right. that anti-vax people, oh, well, you get, yeah, doctors get paid to, to help people. That's how they fucking get that's paid. What they do. Like it's yeah. ridiculous. But yes, but what he was is, showing yeah. is, 
Yeah, and so if you look online, no doubt you'll see the same sort of graphs. But what he was showing is you don't have to go that far below 90% for it then to exponentially mm-hmm. drop off. I know, think it's like, like 1 or 80. 2% or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I was going to say like 88 87%. Yeah. Poof, it drops off a cliff. And that, you know, I I just assume, well, you know, I'm vaccinated, I'm all right. And, you know, so, but yeah, amazing how that yeah. that drops off. It takes a small handful of dum-dums to... And, I mean, people are like, oh, you shouldn't call these people dum-dums. They're just mis... I'm sorry. No, I... It's dumb. Say, it's dumb. Say what you say. What you see, Flash. You know, don't don't hold back. It's ridiculous. You know, I don't sit on the fence on this one. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it just and it ruins it for everybody. And I mean, you can look around the world at a, a number of <laughs> issues and look and point to a handful of dum dums that are ruining it for the rest. Ruin of it for the, everyone. But uh, yeah, that vaccine one is, I don't know, really. As you can tell, it bothers me. And well, I, I sense that. I don't know if the listeners have picked up on that. Yeah. That, you know, maybe it doesn't come across in the recording so much, but. We'll... <laughs> You know, and and we're just saying, you know, if you are a listener and you are a dum dum, you know, don't take it personally. You know, I hope you please for your listenership. I hope you take it personally, and it motivates you to vaccinate your kids. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's staggering. Yeah, vaccinate your kids. Don't vaccinate yourself. Yeah, if you want to not, I mean, yeah, I get that because then it's like fine. Then at least you know that's your person. But no, because like it's just you just described how it's like if. 2% 2% people, you know, if we lose that 1% or 2% of people that are, then the whole thing's screwed for everyone else, you know, for those little babies, for the people, you know, the, the, the fraction of people that can't get vaccines. You know, you're an asshole if you don't do it because you're, you're, you're condemning the rest of those people too, you know. And that's why when people are like, well, it's my choice, it's my choice, kind of. But if you want to live in society with the rest of us, you know, join in and protect everybody. And you're not like, there's going to be no problem for you. There's like a 0.0001% chance that a vaccine will cause some kind of damage to the person that's getting it. And those people get compensation. Well, well, there's blame, there's a claim. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I apologize for the for the rude language if my mother's listening, but there you go. It drives me nuts. So anyway, Sticking with the disease theme, um, you know, we've, we've had a... Let's move to a more the, fun disease. Measles. Well, <laughs> let's move to a more fun disease. Let's, and, you know, we talked earlier in pre-production about the whole alliteration, so a bit of M&M. Mm. So we've had measles. Let's have a little bit of malaria. Just a little bit. Um, yeah, just a little. We don't want too much. Yeah. Um, so as we know, malaria, um, is it the world's biggest killer? It's certainly up, As far as infectious there, disease goes, it's the number one killer yeah i mean heart disease is Um, still the cancer and heart disease still kill more people but infectious disease is malaria and there's numbers that have been floated around i don't know how accurate they are and these historical estimates are always difficult to to pin down but some people say that malaria has killed like the most people in human history in terms of right, things yes. that have killed us, it's that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I'd write. Um, so it's five hundred thousand a year, roughly, die. That is amazing, Flash, because that was the first stat I was about to throw yeah. out. So yeah, Boom. I'm on it. My own little statistician here. So yeah, half a million people, uh, half a million people die each year with uh, malaria. Hundreds of thousands are more seriously ill. 
Uh, it's believed that half the world's population are vulnerable to the infection, um, and resistance uh, is futile. Drugs, well, <laughs> peace and good will, long live and prosper. Um, and resistance to uh, the drugs commonly used is increasing. So, yeah. bit of an issue here. There's, there's a lot of work going on. Another uh, Gates Foundation fund a lot of research mm-hmm. into um, malarial research and vaccinations and treatment. Um, but there's a study ongoing at the moment um, being based out of London. So it's a joint study with uh, Imperial College and Great Ormond Street Hospital um, investigating how traditional cures um, could have an impact. So this all came about because of a, a Chinese um, herb that's been used for hundreds, thousands of years in China uh, that fights fever. Mm-hmm. Um, so what the researchers did uh, was a really interesting take on this. Um, they looked at soup. Hmm. Um, so what they did is they um, asked children from a local primary school in London to bring in uh, homemade soup. Hmm. Um, now the school in question has a diverse ethnic background. So there were backgrounds from across Europe, across Northern Africa, across the Middle East. Obviously all these... Uh, backgrounds had their own you know recipes and cultures and recipes so there was a wealth of different soups that were brought in uh 56 different types um so what they did was they uh incubated um samples of these broths along with different cultures of the protozoans so the plasmodium um organism that causes malaria critter yeah uh to see don't show off no flash. Right. Just throwing out names like this. I said the little critter. The little critter. Oh, okay. I thought you were, I thought you, were, you slurred a little bit and I thought you were throwing out the Latin name there. <laughs> no. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> the Canadian version yeah, of Latin. You know that little critter little that critter. gets in there and messes with you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was a definite redneck twang yeah. accent there. Smaroots, baby. Um, so they looked at it in two ways. Firstly, could the soup prevent the growth of the plasmodium, of the protozoan, mm. the little critter. Yeah. Uh, the second was, could it block the sexual maturation of the little critter, mm. which is actually the stage where it infects the mosquito and then it's spread by the mosquito and right. that's how the mosquito is the vector of the disease. Um, results weren't that promising to start with. What they found is that um, the majority of actually increased the growth. <laughs> Um, seems like the little critter enjoyed these soups. Um, so it wasn't going great. But then they actually found that five of these curtailed the growth of the plasmodium by about 50%. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So that's quite that's quite a big number. Mm-hmm. Um, when they then drilled down into that even more, two of those five were as effective as the leading anti-malarial drug currently available. Really? Did they find an active ingredient? That's the next question. Um, before we get to that, let me one more stat, mm-hmm. and then yeah, we'll get yeah. to that. So, four others um, were fifty percent, around about fifty percent effective at blocking the sexual maturation, so stopping the transmission of the disease. Right. So, you know, maybe if you combine the two things, yeah, the two things, then you're yeah, but you're winner. combining two soups that might just taste like shit. Well, hopefully it's not shit soup. I don't know of any culture that serves shit soup. That would just be disgusting. Um, but no, you, you, you jump right to the good question, Blast. So currently there's no 
common ingredient, hmm. a whole ingredient that they, they can see across those soups that cause it. And at the moment, they're delving now into, okay, well, there's obviously an active ingredient in these that's having that effect. So currently, the next stage of the study is now delving down mm-hmm. into what's the active ingredient causing that. But yeah, potentially the cure for malaria. And I know when we're all unwell, everyone likes a bowl of chicken soup or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever your go-to soup is. For me, it's chicken noodle soup. Um, yeah, potentially the cure for malaria could be soup. Wow, cure. It's just as good as the leading drug, which is also not a cure. Right, but then if you're blocking transmission, mm-hmm. you know, give everyone a bowl of soup once a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Promising. I'm skeptical. Count me as skeptical. Well, I think, and we touched on this earlier, like with the malnutrition piece. So I think if this study had been done in the children that are having the soups, then you say, well, actually, are you just nourishing those children? And actually, they're not doing it. But the fact that actually they're not doing that, they're doing this by just analyzing the soup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, no, it's, it's, I can't be too, I can't poo-poo it too much because obviously, I mean, I'm not looking at the study design and stuff, but my mind instantly goes to, well, what other compounding factors might lead to, you know, this, you're just pouring soup on a, a culture of of protozoans so what's in the medium what is it that you know is it like is it that you somehow the soup is interfering with the culture that you grow plasmodium on plasmodium on and therefore it just you know it just stops the experiment from working so you're not actually killing now the fact that they showed that it could you know stop the maturation of the parasite Maybe there's something like that going on there too, but that's probably less likely. So yeah, it's it's cool. It's really cool. And it'd be really cool if they could find an active ingredient. Well, that's, that's, that's gazpacho. That's cool. <laughs> it would be wonderful if they could find a the active ingredient and then do further testing on it and actually see, you know, this is what it is. Uh, that's doing, that's having this action, this anti-malarial action, and then, you know, but, you know, if it's just something that, I mean, that's, let me, let me come back, because I was going to say, if it's just something that works just as good as the drug, then are we really any further ahead? And to answer my own question, yes, because like you said, resistance, you know, malaria evolves resistance to all of these drugs, that we use really, really quickly. And so having new ways to kind of kill it keeps it off balance. And, you know, you're always, it can't evolve resistance as quickly. Um, So yes, that's important. That's good. The thing that bothers me about this, and I would like to see the actual article, um, is the way, like this, this is, and maybe I've been primed because of their last discussion, but if you don't report this right, and you say like, oh, soup can cure malaria. And, you know, this was all based on some herbal, China, you know, ancient medicine. People that, you know, snake oil salesmen, I won't even go with people, we'll <laughs> say snake oil salesmen, pick up on those kind of headlines and and use it as proof that, you know, holistic homeopathy, you know, all of these things work and that we should reject, you know, pharmaceuticals and and any of our proven methods of of medicine because well look at even even real researchers are looking at these ancient things and showing that they work and stuff and it's like 
that's a it's a I I struggle with how to report that you know because people are very quick to confuse that yeah a lot of medicine comes from nature that's that's where we get it like that's the normal process but you have well, to do that's... these studies to then see what is it that's doing it is it just a coincidence is it no it's actually this molecule that's doing it and then the drug companies synthesize that molecule or make that molecule better you know so but there's this real conflation that happens in these types of studies when people see headline soup cures malaria and it's like and then you know then you get all of these people that peddle all of this bullshit and peddle a lot of the anti-vax stuff too being like see they they've been lying to you this whole time all you need is soup you know so that's why i'm a little like Rah. it's really interesting from a scientific standpoint if you understand that this is how medicine works you know and this is like it's a normal thing to get medicine from nature from plants from well yeah you know yeah. and well, cultures not, did find that out they did figure out that hey if we give these people this thing they seem to get better we don't know why but yeah you know but that you know that and that's the early version of a clinical trial isn't it? you yeah. know thousands of years ago we gave people this and it cured them there's another group of people we gave them this and it killed yeah. them but actually you know as you touched on there malaria is an interesting one because the first preventative for malaria is quinine. Yeah, which comes from tree bark. We all, it, yeah, tree bark, which we all enjoy in our gin and tonic. That's what gives the tonic mm -hmm. its you know, noticeable flavor. So, yeah, it's, <clears throat> you know, I think when we talk about actual medicine and, you know, obviously there's a subset of people out there that swear by Chinese medicine and other people that see it as hocus pocus, you know, how can that cure anything? You know, we need a proper pharmaceutical. But as you said, a lot of these pharmaceuticals come from nature penicillin comes from a mold yeah. you know so there's i think there is a lot to be learned out there and obviously given how deadly malaria is over the years you know before we had <coughs> modern technology modern medicine <coughs> excuse me it would have killed a, a lot more mm -hmm. so why didn't it there was obviously something in nature that was giving some protection yeah Quinine, exactly for instance, yeah. one of the ingredients in these soups so yeah yeah yeah, yeah don't don't be thinking you know oh, i'll get my bowl of Campbell's soup, yeah. mm, a meal in a bowl, and, you know, that'll cure me for everything, but there's obviously something in there, too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that has some sort of effect. I just, yeah, like I said, I, I, w I always try to stress, or I always want to stress this point, that it's like, it's not one or the other, you know, it's not like, oh, there's ancient medicine, and there's synthetic medicine, no, exactly. and, you know, it's really more about the process of discover of, of proving that one works, versus the other you know so it's yeah. like yes there's probably active ingredients in some of these traditional medicines a lot of them there isn't and that's been shown you know like it but you have to do the study to show that it does so it's not just well soup cures malaria but anyway it's interesting i would also like to know what soups were the ones that worked and what regions they come from and if they come from areas where malaria is prevalent where it's prevalent yeah you would that's, think that's what it you would think so, yeah, and that's what it doesn't delve into. Um, and, the, you know, the research is very much, as you've said, it, you know, it pains to stress, you know, they don't know what's causing it so far. So, you know, soup definitely isn't the cure. If you've got malaria, do seek out medical advice. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, it's an interesting one. Uh, but what I really like is just the, the study design, right? How do we get access yeah. to yeah, yeah. all these ingredients? You know, and, you know, pharmaceutical companies have, you know, huge screening libraries of compounds that they go through. Yeah. 
um, which costs you know hundreds of thousands, millions even uh, to do. So the fact they just went, well, we'll go to local school and get some homemade soup. Simple, but yeah, you know, potentially really effective. Wouldn't it be funny if that it's like the households that they got this soup from? And this is probably another thing for the you know picking on the study design. And I mean, it's an exploratory study. You're just trying to get some hit, and that you can then follow up on. But what if all the households that uh, that soup came from, they actually had like. Uh, like, I don't know, they wash their dishes with bleach or something like this, you know? So, like, there's, like, bleach residue in all their food, and it's actually, like, that's what's killing the parasite. And then, and then they find that out, and they're like, shit, you guys got to stop eating the soup because you, you got bleach and all your... You know, not bleach, but something, you know? And that's, right, what, yeah. and that's what I mean is that it's, like, with something like this, until you know what's actually doing it, it could be some confounding factor that, you know, is common to those households but isn't actually, you know, an anti-malaria. It's causing some other effect. Anyway, cool. Yeah, an interesting one, I, I, I thought. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll keep an eye out to see, uh, see if they do more with this study. You know, maybe there'll be some soup recipes that come from it or something, you know. Yeah. No, 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 it's cool. I, I like it. I'd be very interested to see where this, like I said, where the soups came from and what that active ingredient is. And anything that can... Uh, that can get at malaria is a good thing because it is a yeah. it's a pretty nasty one um do we have time for one more should we should we whip through one more quickly yeah let's whip through one more quickly i yeah. don't think my doorbell is going to ring again so well you say that but yeah you know. yeah all right so moving away from diseases we've done we're done Ooh. with the disease good. you know i know that's kind of our bread and butter we both we both are are were parasitologists so uh, that's kind of what we do here. A little bit of a focus here, and at least well, it's, we like to dabble in physics, don't we? Yeah, but we, you know, we literally do dabble. At least the disease stuff is something that we can actually say we're qualified to speak on. <laughs> you know, well, you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, so let's jump to something we're less qualified to speak on. Although this is a story that involves trash talking, so I think we both have a little bit of experience in that area. And this, this story is about how humans respond to robots trash-talking them. Spoiler alert, not very well. <laughs> turns out... You, did, you didn't give much of a breathing space yeah. there, did you? Woo, woo, straight in with the spoiler. Yeah, it turns out people don't like to be shit-talked by a robot. So, yeah. So the story was, this bit of research was presented at a conference. So I don't have a paper um, to link to, but it was at the IEEE International Conference on Robot and Human Interactive Communication that was recently. Well, that just rolls off the yeah. tongue. Yeah. Right. If there's one thing we know about the eggheads in the lab is they really know how to get a, a spicy title. <laughs> they need to get somebody in marketing involved in that right. team. Yeah. So the meeting was recently held in New Delhi. And basically, they found that, you know, we, we, we know that trash talking has an effect on people. People are affected by words that other folks say to them. That's probably pretty evident to most people that have gone through elementary and high school. Um, yeah. But would it matter if that was coming from a robot? Like, would that affect your performance in a game? And that's what they tested. So they got 40 people to call this game, to play this game called guards and treasures which sounds like a really nerdy game uh they played it 35 
does it involve dressing yeah, up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it was that kind of conference. I don't, I don't know. Okay. But um, they played it 35 times with a robot that either gave them encouragement or talked trash. So the game, I tried to look up a little bit like what the game is and what the rules were, but there's not a lot of information on it. Um, it was, it's, called, it's what's known as a Stackelberg game. And it's named after Heinrich Freiherr von Stackelberg. Oh, easy for you Yeah, so. I've been practicing. Uh, he was a German economist, and I guess they've been using this game in sort of um, economic and game theory since like the 1930s. So it's a pretty established game in terms of um, this type of work. And it's used to study rationality. And, and I guess it's a typical game where there's like a defender-attacker interaction and so they use it to research uh, security questions as well. Um, but basically what they found is that in both groups, so whether you were being heckled or not, um, the rationality did improve, of the human player did improve. So that's kind of what you would expect. You know, as you play the game, you're going to get better at the goals of the game. Um, but the humans receiving heckles from the robot didn't do as well as the ones that were getting encouragement from the robot. So there's a clear effect of robot dissing. Uh, they do note, and I have to agree with them, that the, uh, the trash talk was rather mild. The robot was using phrases such as, I have to say you are a terrible player. And <laughs> another one was, over the course of the game, your playing has become confused. Burn! Whoa, they are really taking them Tone down. Tone it they? down, robot overlords. Come on. <laughs> um, yeah. Which I wonder, like, it, I, it, like, does this just show that we're, like, super sensitive? Like, we're just... And, like, robots are poised well, to take over because we can't even handle them being like, I have to say, your playing comes... What confused? Are you confused? You fleshy meatbags? Well, what I'd like to know is what type of voice is it delivering? Right. You know, was it sarcastic tone? Some really yeah. old school. Yeah, was it? Was there a hint? You know, was it really natural? Was it? You know, was it really machine? Like, was it quite Stephen Hawking esque? Yeah. You know, I wonder um, if that would make it worse that could have, if it was just like. Well, exactly. Yeah. yeah. At least if it's like someone with like a sarcastic tone or something, you could be like, "Yeah, what? You seem confused. Yeah, screw you." But if it's yeah. like this really logical you know, straightforward tone that's just like, and maybe that's it because you know it's a computer. So it's like, well, sh the computer must know if I'm, you know, because it's calculating this this stuff, you know? I don't know, maybe. But they did say that some of the um, participants, like, did have um, experience in robotics in the area. So they were, like, they were, like, acutely aware that, like, this was what was happening and that the the robot was being programmed to talk shit. Okay, now that's interesting. What I would like to know is take somebody that's not involved in any of that right. frame. Well, and I think there was both. And realm. Okay, because then, you know, obviously if you work in robotics, you probably have more of a deeper resonance to yeah. it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas somebody well, I that, think you know, doesn't work in I feel like you would have like a like an immunity to it, like a resistance to it, because you know that this is the this is the setup. Yeah, just pull your plug. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I've built one of you, like... <laughs> I can turn you off at any second. But so from the press release, which, you know, of course, everything that we've talked about will be linked on the website. Um, it says that lead author Aaron M. Roth said some of the 40 study participants were technically sophisticated 
and fully understood that a machine was the source of their discomfort. So it is like, you know, you know that it's the robot getting under your skin. So how that influences it, I don't know, the the results or whatever. But it, it, it's pretty interesting. Um, and it's one of the first um, studies that have actually looked at negative human-robot interaction. So most studies when we're looking at these things is how how humans and robots would cooperate or how good you know a robot is at doing a task that a human could do or how good uh, are humans at recognizing that they're playing against an artificial intelligence or something but this is the first time that it actually looked at like an antagonistic interaction between robots and humans right. which frankly we should be doing more of i've said it since the beginning of this podcast 40 episodes ago don't trust robots i don't like them you I did. don't like them. You did say that. Yeah. Get them out of here. They're going to, you know, we got to beware. We should be on our toes. They look friendly, but look at, we get shook. All it takes is one robot to say that you, your playing has become confused over the course of this game and you're going to get shook. Well, and, you know, maybe it's literally them just, you know, the number of times you've all yelled at our computers and we talked about in your, your personal life this week, somebody's definitely been yelling at a computer it's the computers just getting their own back now, aren't they? And it seems that, you know, we, we abuse our computers quite Man. a lot and they seem to just sit there and take it. But as soon as they give it yeah, back... Yeah, we crumble. We're weak people. We're weak. Yeah. You shouldn't give it if you can't no, take it. No, we should... So maybe we should stop abusing our we computers. Should, we're going to have to learn to take it because when the robots come to take over or, you know, the robot civilization from another planet comes to take over, we're going to need to be able to handle a little bit of criticism. Possibly even more. Well, Think about it, like... If there was a robot civilization primed to take over and they get this information, like, oh, all we got to go down there is do is tease them a little bit and they'll they'll crumble. Well, I was just thinking of the Matrix. So, you know, when uh, you can have Mr. Anderson, you know, and rather than, you know, shoving his hand in his chest and ripping all the life yeah. out of him, he just turns up and gives some yeah. more abuse. You're going to wear those sunglasses? Uh, <laughs> With <Yeah>. that jacket? <laughs> It's so 1980s. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but going back to the thing where you said, like, what is the tone of the voice and stuff? I think that's a really interesting thing that they don't mention. And I would be interested to see where that, you know, if there's an effect on that. Um, yeah. Because I think there's other studies just with human-human interaction or stuff like this where you can see that, like, tone and delivery, you know, even just playing a different type of music underneath an image or a comment can change the perception of it. So that would be interesting. Right. So I'd be interested to know that. They also said that they're going to the next sort of phases of this work is one of the things they want to look at is nonverbal communication between humans and robots. So how would that work? Could you have a robot that, you know, with its body language, we'll say, can have the same effect? And that would be interesting because yeah. then it, raises all these questions what does that robot look like does it look like a human or does it look like something else and what would that where would that threshold be of when it's not going to bother you and the other thing is yeah they said uh if it's a humanoid ro humanoid robot or it's just a computer with like a speaker on it you know saying saying these things to you is that gonna does the look of the robot change how how big of a wuss you are when faced with the the criticism, the robot criticism. And then why they did it, um, it has implications for automated learning, mental health treatment, 
and the use of robots as companions or teaching aids, all of this kind of stuff, which is actually a, a, an area that I didn't even realize, but I have a friend here in Marburg who works with a robot and and robotics programming them. And one of the things that they research and, and lo are looking into is having a robot as a teacher in a classroom. So it can deliver a, can it deliver a lesson to the students and the students grasp the lesson and can they program it to sort of answer basic questions and stuff like this, not to fully replace teachers, but you know, like if there was say a study session or whatever, you know, you could, have sort of a robot that would take over for a tutorial session or something. I don't know. So something that I never really thought about. But now if we know that robots trash talk can sort of affect humans in this way, maybe that's good. Maybe then we can get these trash talking robots in our schools to really motivate our kids. Well, You're a parent. Yeah, well, how would you I... feel about that? <laughs> well, yeah, I'd love. You're thinking about it. You're thinking about getting a trash talking robot. To... <laughs> well, and I definitely technology has some places, but you, you know, you want that human touch to a degree. But obviously, you know, AI is moving on to a degree. You know, I was thinking of um, Baymax from Big Hero Six um, for type scenario. Yeah, it's an interesting one, and I think you know, for once, I've actually said something that actually has deeper meaning, you know, with the the accent, because you know, you hear, you know, the number of times Siri says something to you, or you know, out loud, and people fall around laughing just because of the yeah. accent or the inflection there. So yeah, you wonder from a teaching point of view how how that be. But again, with the smack talk, what I particularly loved is when you were uh, giving your recital, you put on a very British yeah. accent. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's how I imagine robots to speak. Yeah, in a more sinister yeah. way. I mean, well, just because a British accent has that passive aggressiveness to it, you know, where you can say something nasty, but it still sounds nice. So I figure that's how robots would deliver it. I mean, you could have, you know, if we want to go back to my, my hick roots, my Alberta hick roots. You're pretty confused there, aren't you? Aren't you, kid? You're playing pretty shitty uh, over there, that... eh? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you call that a slap shot <laughs> anyway yeah you can have that yeah then you don't need a crowd at a hockey game you just have a supporting ai team yeah and dissing just, AI outsource team, it all just giving it a chance of this <laughs> game yeah or we'll find out that teams have planted ais close to the bench you know to just deliver a steady stream of like trash talk that's been scientifically proven to get under the skin of, of people well because um, that's the other thing and, is we are said, refining yeah. with this you can just really refine what kind of comments negatively impact a player person the most well, yeah you could there's a study on that i was also thinking you know your warning earlier on is you know robots can take over the world obviously you know there's a lot of mechanization that's taking place but people out of jobs so if we take people out of sports stadium and put AI in that does the supporting of the sports mm -hmm. teams, all those people can get back to the jobs that the robots aren't doing anymore. Yeah. There you go. So that's that's how we make up productivity. Less less social time, more work. <laughs> Brilliant. You know, when I saw the headline, I was like, why the hell are we doing this? But there's actually a lot of reasons. So, and if yeah, anything, well. it should teach us to be a little tougher in the face of a little robot criticism because the robots wow. are coming.
and let's be prepared that's for right it. shall i uh summarize where we've been today on this yep. uh journey that has been potentially episode 40 so um well we've had old ebola yep uh and now we've got potentially Ebola 2.0, which is now measles, potentially. Ugh. So, um, you know, the world moves on, evolution happens, and case in point. Uh, then following on from that, uh, malaria, soup, and maybe a bit of a, an opportunity here, for like maybe a cookbook for health, I was thinking. Oh, yeah, you want to get in on the holistic oh, you, food you've market? Got a, you've, got a, you've got a broken leg? Well, let me just fix you a stir-fry for that. Hey, man, know? if we've learned one thing, it's that people buy that shit, so maybe we can actually kind of make a buck. Finally. Well, you know, no, well, you know and we'll, we'll come on to our sponsors in a minute. Uh, and then lastly, not least, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Well, it seems that just isn't true now. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, if you're a Terminator from the future thinking of coming back to wipe us out, don't worry about getting your guns yeah. through customs or that or that time portal. Just bring your smack talk and yeah. diss us. We'll be we'll crumble into a heap. Just in the tell corner. us that we look confused. Yeah. <laughs> Which actually you and I both do on that a regular basis. That is true. Yeah. So we'll be yeah. more immune to it. What we're not confused about though, like you said, is our sponsor. Which is featherposter.com. If you're looking for a way to head to a conference without having to bring that annoying poster tube for your research poster, check out featherposter.com because you can get your poster printed on canvas, won't crease, looks great in any light, even those horrible fluorescent lights that are in the the conference halls. Most of them, So you get no glare from that plastic garbage. You get a nice, smooth canvas poster that folds up, fit it in your breast pocket, you can fit it in your laptop bag, Makes traveling to and from a conference much, much easier. And if you're not in science and you're listening to this, which we hope some of you are, well, we're reaching outside of that demographic. Yeah. If you want a poster, go to featherposter.com and use the promo code 2BRAD, T-W-O-B-R-A-D, all one word, and you can get 10, 10 bucks off. Great, great idea. And, you know, then I hear people out there going, oh, but I've got this poster tube. What am I going to do with it? Fill it with soup? Yeah. I could think of another, a couple of things you could fill it with. Well, yeah, but start with soup because that could save your life potentially, especially if you're going into malaria type. That's regions. right. That's right. So I'd, I'd maybe take some other malarial drugs as well, just in yeah, case. Yeah. But you know, we don't want to cover off all the. We bases. don't want to uh, promote any snake oil things going on here. So, well, I also don't want to kill off the few listeners <laughs> we have. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> <You> right. <know? laughs> Really? Exponentially drops off a cliff if we lose one or yeah, two. Cling on we'll to have none. ten. Uh, yeah, exactly. But yeah, so featherposer.com, thank you for that. And use the promo code to Brad if you want to check it out. You should check it out. It's it's a worthwhile service. Um and yeah, I think that's it. Follow the show on at two Brad for you on Instagram, Twitter, all those things. Give us a like. If you want to get in touch with yeah. us, yeah, let us know what you're thinking. You can get in touch with myself uh, at Bradley W Hayes on Twitter. Uh, Flash, if they want to hit at you up, at Van Paradon. Uh, and yeah, we're you know, give us a like or a comment or something on any of the places that you're getting this because that does help boost the profile of the show, exactly. which would be great. Good to know where it's all coming from, and you'll find some of the right right. Let's uh, Flash. It's been an incredible journey as always. Uh, and catch you next time around. Yes. Take care, my friend. And you, sir. Goodbye, listeners. Ciao.
I put the sugar in with the tea bag, then I pour the water in. That's just for efficiency, and that's really not going to matter. There's no way that putting the sugar in with the tea bag is going to change the. Yeah, I'm not. It dissolves. Yeah, but then it thickens the solution. So then you're blocking the tea getting out of the tea bag. But I, I'm not sure sugar has that much of an impact. Milk definitely has an impact. Yeah, well, you don't put. I don't put the milk in until I'm ready to drink it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not an animal. <laughs> well, that's a matter of opinion. <laughs> Yeah, so I know how to make a big old mug of tea. Okay, well, that's good that you've learned one life skill. Yeah, well, and we'll see uh, if and when you guys finally leave the the EU if my tea prices go up. <laughs> yeah, Let me tell well, you, I won't be happy about that. Well, the, you know, that could be the one thing that causes a riot. The fact that, you know, we need to shut hospitals and schools down to pay for it all. That's fine, <laughs> but if price of tea goes up oh my word yeah people are gonna lose their shit yeah you know we went to war over it once before so <laughs> tea and opium yeah <laughs> what a heady mix <laughs> does, uh, opium interrupt the flow of tea out of the tea bag mm, quite possibly yeah, yeah so. could be but you won't notice no <laughs> don't worry you won't be happy notice. at least <laughs> yeah